Good morning. Today is the last day of our sermon series called Off the Map. And if you remember, we were using a metaphor from history. The Lewis and Clark expedition expected to find a route that they could canoe to the Pacific Ocean. But when they hit the Rocky Mountains, they needed to use their tools in a very different way to reach their same goal. And the same is true with us in this season. We've had to adapt our methods of how we live into the mission that Jesus gave us. But sometimes when we change our methods, we learn new things about what's most important about our faith for us and for our world. And what's come clear to me in this season is that one of the most central things about our faith as Jesus followers is forgiveness. Living in the forgiveness of Christ is as essential to our Christian faith as water is to the health of our physical body. And if you've ever been hiking, you know how important it is to hydrate. Hiking takes a lot out of you. You need to make sure that you're regularly drinking water, especially when you're in the mountains. But here's the thing. If you're hiking in the wilderness long enough, eventually you're going to run out of the water that you brought with you. And what happens when the only water available to you in the mountains is tainted with bacteria and runoff from the mountains? When the only water that there is is unhealthy, what do we do? Well, here's the bad news, good news about that scenario, sometimes called the law and the gospel. First, the bad. The truth is, everything around us is tainted. We are born into a world that has already fallen into sin. There's nothing that's untouched by it. So living in this world daily exposes us to an onslaught of the toxins of sin. It's unavoidable for any of us. We drink the water of our environment and we are tainted by it and we add to the tainting of it for others and left to itself those toxins build up in our system in bitterness and sickness of spirit and eventually death. Scripture tells us there is no one who is righteous, not even one. But if this is all there is to drink, what can we do about it? Well, what does a wilderness hiker do when all of the water sources are tainted? they add an outside saving element called a water purification tablet. So what you do is you fill your water bottle with whatever kind of water you have available to you. You add a couple of these tablets and you let them dissolve. And what the tablet does is it seeks out and it destroys the bacteria in the water so that it can harmlessly pass through your system without attaching to you. So that takes out its ability to make you bitter in stomach. And instead, it allows the elements of the water to do what water was designed to do, to renew you and strengthen you so you can continue on hiking. So here's the good news. All of our earthly waters might be tainted, but there is a purifier available to us. One who chose to enter in and bind our bitterness and our sin to his death, even death on a cross. So we can be set free instead to know the renewing, living water of his presence in our lives today. With the promise that with his life in our system, not even death will be able to separate us from him. Jesus is our purifier. And his cleansing power makes us new. And that's the power of his forgiveness. Not just to make us clean, but to empower us to move forward free with him. And in that statement, the with him is actually very important because we all know by the time we get to the very next water stop, we're going to need another application. Wherever the toxins, we need the purifier again and again and again. That's why forgiveness is so essential to the Christian life. First, of course, because there would be no Christianity without it. There is no eternal life without the gift 
of forgiveness from God through the saving work of Jesus Christ. But secondly, as followers of this Jesus, there is also no life, no growth in our spiritual lives today without a regular practice of receiving and giving forgiveness ourselves in this world. As Jesus has done for us, we are also to do as we live it out, as we model a life of forgiveness and grace in our relationships, in our neighborhoods, in our world. Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, Forgive my sins as I also forgive those who sin against me. As if, of course, we are freely going to offer others the kind of forgiveness that we're asking God to give us. Freely we have received. Freely give. Scripture is very clear on this point, that we who have been forgiven must also be forgiving. And this is a huge part of our life of discipleship in Jesus. Forgiveness is so relational, it impacts almost every aspect of our lives. In fact, it's hard to find verses in the New Testament that are not connected to forgiveness. Either are receiving it from God, or are giving it to others, or warnings of what happens in our spirit when we resist receiving it from God, or we withhold giving it to others. But as we're talking about forgiveness, first I want to make sure you know first what forgiveness is not. When you ask for forgiveness and you are forgiven, that doesn't mean that what you did was okay. Just the opposite. It means that it was a harmful thing, a toxin that needed to be addressed and contained and purified so it wouldn't continue to harm you and the world. And when you, as one who has been forgiven by Jesus, in turn are wronged by someone else, you forgiving them does not mean what they did was okay. It's really actually not much about them as it is about you. When you identify the wrong that was done to you and you ask Jesus to help you forgive, the toxins that that wrong introduced into your system, the bitterness of your anger, your hurt, is given into the hands of Jesus. Forgiving others sets you free from the toxin of bitterness that might otherwise poison your life. So forgiveness is not saying what was done to you was okay. It's saying I choose to give the power over my life to you, Jesus, not to this. I choose not to hold on to this. I choose to give it to you. Forgiveness is also not reconciliation. So for reconciliation, you need the cooperation of the other person, a willingness also to confess their part in the wrong and choose to move forward together. So reconciliation takes two. Forgiving only takes you and the work of Jesus in you. But this is where the world's healing starts. Just like the old song says, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. There's great power in the act of forgiveness to change hearts. But until we first learn to receive God's forgiveness for us, it's really hard to truly forgive others. But so often, I think we get stuck. We get trapped by our guilt and shame, unable to move forward. So as I was praying about what particular aspect of forgiveness Jesus wanted me to hold up uh, this week among the many different aspects, what came to mind for me was the story of the paralytic in Mark 2 who had great friends who lowered him through the roof so they could bring him to Jesus, who was inside a house. And when Jesus looked at this paralyzed man, the very first thing he said to him was, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now, the obvious problem this man had was the fact that he couldn't walk, so everyone thought it was a strange thing for Jesus to say, especially the Pharisees, of course, didn't believe that Jesus had the authority to actually forgive his sins. But I can't help but think that Jesus, who knows our hearts, could immediately sense that this man was being held prisoner, not just by the paralysis of his body, but by some guilt or shame that he could not forgive himself for, or that he could not believe he ever could be forgiven for. And Jesus knew until he could let go of that sin, truly knowing he was forgiven, even if he was healed, he still wouldn't be free. So Jesus first forgave. And then in Mark 2.9, responding to the Pharisees' skepticism, Jesus said, Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Our God wants to see us free. And the truth is, there is a lot in our world that can trap us into bitterness. And when we sin, our sin eats away at us, and it even gets worse when we try to excuse or explain away our bad behavior, because then our desire to justify ourselves battles with the voice of the Holy Spirit in us that says, that's not the truth. (laughs) That's not my way. Our rationalizations don't fix anything. They don't detoxify the waters. They don't take away our bitterness of spirit. The only way to freedom is to identify the wrong and confess it to Jesus. And when we have been sinned against and we hold on to that unforgiveness, it does poison us. We become poisonous to others. In the same way, the only way to freedom is to identify the wrong and give it over to Jesus, choosing in freedom to forgive as we ourselves have been forgiven by him. But hiding our sin from others, ourselves, from God, or holding on to unforgiveness of wrongs done to us only locks those toxins into our tissues. But Jesus doesn't leave us without hope or help. He just straight up tells us this is not something we can fix. We need his purification from the outside. We need to invite Jesus to do in us what only he can do. So our part in this is actually a three-part process. Identify and confess that there is a not right in us that needs his redeeming righteousness. And we name it, not for his sake, he already knows, but for ours. So we know what we're asking for freedom from. And then secondly, we ask Jesus to cleanse this, to help change our direction, to see a different way. And then three, we let go. And we let him do it. And strangely enough, I think that third part is the hardest. (laughs) Because once, uh, once that outside saving element of Jesus' grace is applied, we simply have to trust enough that the work has been done that we dare drink deep from his grace and be renewed and then walk with him to what's next. But the problem is, I think a lot of us tend to get stuck in the confession part and we never actually receive the freedom of being forgiven. We see our wrong, we confess it, we ask Jesus to forgive, but then somehow we fumble the handoff. We won't let go. Because sometimes I think it feels more repentant to us if we just keep hold of that confession and then we keep beating ourselves up with it. But all the while, Jesus is calling us, let go. (laughs) Give it to me. I died to take that. Why are you still holding on? Let go. Let me do what I came to do for you, to be Savior, Redeemer, the living water for you. 
See, we believe Jesus came to forgive. But too often, I don't think we really know what it means that we are forgiven. That in his amazing love for us, he has promised not only to forgive, but to intentionally forget. We can confess, Lord, forgive me for this. Take this sin to the cross. Give me a new start in your grace. And he says, beloved, your sins are forgiven. Now get up and walk. But we stay right where we are and say, oh, thank you, Lord. I really do feel bad. I mean, remember when I said that? How could I have done that? And he looks at us and says, remember what? What are you talking about? Come on, let's go. we got stuff to do. <laughs> when you really understand that he means it when he says you're forgiven, you will never resist confessing again. There's no point in holding on to toxins that Jesus already died to destroy. There's every benefit in bringing the truth to Jesus for him to purify. Because when you know you're forgiven, what it feels like not to hold on to sin and guilt and shame, but to give it to him, it changes you. Because what he does is real, and it's true, and it changes us. And when we are changed, it changes the world around us. Last week I was at Mount Carmel in Alexandria taking in some Bible teaching at a beautiful lakeside setting. And one of the speakers told a story I'm going to blatantly steal today because it so deeply spoke to me as a practical tool we can use for receiving forgiveness, for what it's meant to do. Several years back, there was a man named Todd Munger who became the golf coach at North Central. And North Central is a great Bible college, but it didn't have a great golf team. And as a new coach, Todd noticed his players would make several great shots and then one bad one. And what he found was after that bad shot, often all the other holes were downhill from there. And he could see even though they moved on to the next hole, they weren't really there. They couldn't get free of that bad shot. They started to form their identity around their mistakes and then take those mistakes with them one hole after the other. And so after observing this, he called this team together and he told them, this is how we are going to play from now on. He said, when you make a bad shot, in your mind, draw a circle around it, around the green. You can make that circle as big as it needs to be. And while you are inside that circle, you are free to lament and rage and be angry at yourself but make sure while you're in that circle to notice and see what the mistake was, what you did wrong, what you can learn from that mistake. Identify, confess. If you need to beat yourself up about it, fine. But when that hole is done, when you step outside that circle, it's over. Leave it. It's the past. There's a new hole ahead. So the next day at practice, when one of the teammates got upset over a shot, his teammate would shout out, draw a circle, man. <laughs> and if they stayed upset after that, nope, you're out of the circle, leave it, leave it, move on. And gradually, Todd began to see that things changed. That year, North Central won the championship by two strokes. The next year, by two dozen. See, the Lord doesn't call us to confess, to rub our nose in our mistakes. He calls us to confess so that we can receive real freedom. To know we have been purified by his grace so we won't stay stuck. But so that we can get up and walk free with him into what's new. Jesus has already won the battle for us, friends. He's already done the work to forgive and renew us. And he knows we're not perfect. He knows that we're going to need his grace and forgiveness over and over again. He has no illusions we can live this life perfectly. If he did, he wouldn't have needed to come. 
But when we sin, when we make mistakes, rather than make them part of our identity, we can identify them and draw a circle around them and then cry out in confession, Jesus, do you see what I did? Holy Spirit, help me learn the lesson I need to learn. Help me hold on to what's helpful for me to grow. But then, Jesus, forgive me and cut the ties of shame and guilt that would hold me here and help me instead to leave this at your cross, Jesus, and step with you through the power of your forgiveness to where you'd bring me next. Jesus says, Beloved, your sins are forgiven. Now get up and walk. He died to set you free, so accept his gift and move. Even if you have to step, draw a circle, draw a circle, step, draw a circle, step, he's not going to give up on you. Remember a few weeks ago I shared a story where Jesus taught his disciples that whenever someone asked for forgiveness, wanting to change, we must forgive them every time, even if they ask us to forgive them seven times a day. And that distressed the disciples to think about, but I'm sure it was comforting to Peter later on when he sinned against Jesus, denying him three times in one night, and was three times restored by Jesus' forgiveness. You see, the beauty of this command is that Jesus practices what he preaches. And if he tells us we might need to forgive someone seven times a day for the same thing, it's because he knows human nature. He knows us. And he knows we might need him to forgive us seven times a day for the same thing. And he will. He means it. He died to prove that. He's very serious about this business of restoring us in his grace because it's the reason he came. You are the reason. So this week, I want you to intentionally ask yourself, is there anything holding you back from really receiving and trusting the gift of Jesus' forgiveness for you? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you any bitterness or unforgiveness that you've been harboring. Draw a circle around it. Ask the Lord to show you anything you need to learn from it, how he'd have you change direction. Ask Jesus to apply his purifying power and then trust him enough to walk out of that circle with him. Because when you know that you are forgiven, it changes you. When you know that freedom, you want that same freedom for others too. So with that this week, I also want to invite you to ask the Lord if there are things you might need to ask others to forgive you for as well. Because sometimes it's our sin that keeps other people stuck. But a simple I'm sorry can take out the fuel that feeds that anger. Our confession to others shows respect for them. And then it allows the space for healing of grace to happen. Because once we've truly received and know the power of being forgiven, we know we don't have to be afraid of confessing. That acknowledging what's not right is just the beginning of freedom. It makes us want what Jesus wants, the freedom to move forward in grace, not just for us, but for all those around us too. As you know, if you've been watching the news, when it comes to the topic of race relations in our country, There are a lot of hurt and anger and sadness and bitterness and pain in people's hearts right now. Evidence of the toxins of sin that have been at work for a long time. And as awful as things might seem right now, the fact that we are seeing it together is actually a good place to be. Because people have begun to draw the circle, to identify the real hurts and wounds and injustices that have happened and that continue to happen. And people have noted that this circle has been drawn before and marched out, only to find toxins also in the next pool as well. That tells us we're not over the mountain yet. We need to continue the work 
of identifying and confessing the wrongs, of not being afraid to confess our part of the problem. Because to step out of the circle, you first have to draw it. And you can't let go of what you haven't taken hold of first. And I think that's where we are as a country. As Christians, every week we confess that sin is not only in the things we have done, but also in the things we have left undone. That means we aren't even always aware of our choices and how they impact others. And as the Apostle Paul says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't mean that I'm guiltless. The only way we can fail to move forward is if we lack the courage to confess, we also might be part of the problem. Even if what we're confessing is we don't know what to confess, at least we're helping draw the circle around what's broken and to ask for the grace we need from Jesus for all of us to move forward together. Because Jesus wants us free, no matter what our color, our situation, our background, to be brothers and sisters in his grace. But that first takes doing the hard work of drawing the circle and lamenting, really lamenting together that we need to do that in the first place. And then asking the Holy Spirit to help us learn from the past. Asking Jesus to forgive and renew us all and help us repent, change direction toward Jesus' vision for all of us together. So that when the time comes for us to step out of this circle and leave these things in the past, we can truly move forward, embracing the journey Jesus wants us to walk together as those who, in Jesus' grace, live both forgiven and forgiving. So as we walk this journey, here are some truths for today to acknowledge as Christians. Number one, you are not perfect. You have sinned before and you will again. No matter how hard you try to be perfect, you are going to need Jesus' grace in the future again and again. Number two, other people are not perfect. They have sinned before, and they will again. No matter how hard they try to be perfect, they are going to need Jesus' grace in the future again and again. Number three, Jesus alone purifies, restores, and renews us to live as new creations in his grace, not as the perfect but as the redeemed and forgiven, and he does so again and again and again. And then finally, number four, those who are forgiven also must be forgiving for one another because this is how citizens of the kingdom of heaven, where Jesus Christ is king, are called to relate to one another in Jesus' love again and again and again. Now, isn't that a beautiful picture of a community of grace? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today, we pray that you would give us the grace to live into our name, a community of grace where Jesus is first and second chances abound. We're so grateful for this gift of your forgiveness that you freely have given us through your death and resurrection. We pray that you would help the world see in us your heart to call all of us back to you, one circle, one step at a time, and help us as the forgiven to grow also in being the forgiving. Teach us the lifelong pattern of asking for, receiving, and living into your gift. Because it's only when we can truly receive what you have given us that we can become the vessel that you use for the sake of others. So we pray today, Lord, do what you need to do in us so that you can do what you want to do through us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.